from Proverbs chapters 8 and 9, verses 32 through 9, 6. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple come and hear, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Well, this also marks the first time that I've been with you for a while. I've had some vacation time. I uh, spent some time with in-laws in California, a little time in McCall, and a lot of family time, which has been good. But, you know, one thing that always strikes me when I come back here is this is ultimately my family. I love this community of believers that you are all part of. Uh, It's home. This is home. So I'm delighted to be here, and I just want you to know Um, I feel such a privilege to be able to serve the Lord here among you. We wanted to dig into Proverbs 8 and 9, so let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, we want to learn to, as we've just sung, choose you. Choose your way. Choose life. Thank you that your word is life-giving. And may you, by your Spirit, Speak through me and open up the hearts of each of us that we might hear afresh your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Dr. James Dobson describes a time in his ministry when he was at a conference and he was staying in a hotel in a room by himself. He was kind of lonely and missing his family. It was hard to be away. Um, He was feeling kind of weak and vulnerable and, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And suddenly he heard a knock on the door. He opened the door and there stood a very attractive woman. And she said, would you like some company tonight? Well, he had a moment there of indecision and trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? And you know, I am lonely, and he, he felt that, but he said, no, no thank you, no thank you, and closed the door. You know, we live in a world that's full of temptation. We live in a world where Satan knows exactly when to come at us. With those temptations, when we're weak, when we're lonely, when we're feeling vulnerable, when we're tired, when maybe we're angry because someone's hurt us, Uh, we're feeling especially wounded, maybe full of self-pity. 
And at those times when we are most vulnerable, Satan's no dummy. He comes at us at those times and he says, would you like some company tonight? Would you like me to come and satisfy your lonely heart? And he promises to make us feel better for a time. Now, if we step back, we know it's a lie. We know you might feel better briefly, but there's death and struggle. And in the end, it never leads to life. But, but yet there is that temptation. And for us, it's difficult sometimes to choose. We all have temptations. And for each of us, it might look a little different because of our makeup, because of our particular vulnerabilities. But at those times of struggle, we might feel, well, he might whisper to us, you know, you could have some company tonight if you would just watch this show or this on the Internet or whatever to feel a little better. Or we're tempted to say something to a loved one that is hurtful because we're angry and we know it's not right, but we're tempted to do it anyway. Or we might have the temptation to eat something we know we shouldn't, to drink when we know we shouldn't, to buy something when we know we shouldn't, because we feel hurt, we feel wounded, and we're just looking for something to make us feel better. And of course, advertising and the internet appeal to those temptations that tell us, you need some company tonight? (laughs) Well, I've got what you need. I can satisfy your longings. If you just buy this certain thing, If you just use this deodorant, you could have life. (laughs) They appeal to those temptations, those longings of the heart for more, those desires. And continuously we face those situations where we know it's wrong, but it's so appealing sometimes and it's easy to justify making that choice, even though we know it's wrong, because we're hurt, vulnerable, wounded. Well, this morning we're finishing our study in this section of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 through 9. Next week we go on to Genesis. But we studied this this summer because it's an encouragement to us to learn wisdom in the midst of life. And our passage today, these two chapters, we'll only be able to skim the highlights. But in these chapters, Lady Wisdom, that's a personification of wisdom, she's pictured as a woman, And she makes her final call to us. Listen to me. Seek wisdom. I'm offering you life if you'll only choose me. And God in His gracious love of us gives us the opportunity to choose. That's part of His care of us. That's part of His desire that we might be people who respond to His love of us. So He gives us that opportunity to choose life or to choose death, to listen, as we'll see, to lady wisdom or to listen to lady folly, the fool. So let's look in these chapters together and discover more about what this means, that life is full of endless choices. We've seen that all the way through Proverbs and there's temptation and we have a choice to choose God's way, to choose wisdom or to choose foolishness which leads only to pain and death. But only wisdom, as we've seen, can help us make good choices. 
it isn't just by working up our courage and our strength to do it. We have to learn wisdom. Wisdom has to begin to penetrate our hearts and our lives. And the wisest people you know, think about who's wise in your life. The wisest people you know are wise because, not because of what's up here, not because of what they know, but because they have learned the skill of wisdom. They've learned the moral skill of living life, being able to, at those times of temptation, choose what's right, choose wisdom, rather than choose folly. They've learned wisdom, and so this encouragement to us is that we might learn wisdom and we might live as wise men and women. So wisdom is something we can all learn, but it takes choice. It takes learning the skill of living life God's way. So we'll look at these two chapters. Chapter 8 answers the question, why should we even choose wisdom? Why is really that the best choice? Because sometimes the temptation looks so good. Why at those times should I choose wisdom? And then chapter 9 tells us the path to wisdom. The path, the way we need to walk to find wisdom. So let's look at five reasons as to why we should choose wisdom in chapter 8. The first reason we should choose wisdom is because it's available to all. Verses 1 through 5. I'm reading in chapter 8 of Proverbs. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights, beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence. And O fools, understand wisdom. So wisdom calls out, Lady Wisdom. And notice what it says here. It says that she calls out where? At the city gates, on the heights, where the paths divide. Anytime you come to a path, to a place of choice, Lady Wisdom is there. You see, wisdom is available to all. We should choose wisdom first because it is available to us. Sometimes we think, well, Only really wise people know how to choose and and only they have wisdom. But I think her point is, I'm calling to you wherever you are. You know right and wrong. It's planted deep in the heart of every man and woman, even whether they know Jesus or not. Scripture tells us that we are all given a sense of right and wrong. We're given a conscience that explains that. Romans chapter 2 describes that. In verse 14, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Notice what's saying there. It's saying whether you are part of the people of God or not, You have a conscience given you by God. Lady Wisdom speaks to you and tells you what's right and wrong. In the scriptures, the only ones who can't hear Lady Wisdom at all are called scoffers. They are those whose hearts are so hardened 
that Lady Wisdom cannot even be heard. They're so convinced they are right that they are completely unteachable. But otherwise, it says, naive fools, all of us can hear the truth. It's available anytime there's a choice, if we'll only listen. Now, sometimes folly shouts a lot louder, right? Do this! Hey, this will feel better! But Lady Wisdom is always there if we have ears to hear. How is this? Well, we're all created in God's image. All of us, all human beings are. And we're given, instilled with a sense of right and wrong from the very heart of God. And so we know when we begin to have that choice and we can choose one way or another, we know what's right. We should choose it because it's available. We should also choose wisdom, number two, because it's true. We should choose wisdom because wisdom is what is true. Verse 6 through 9 says this, Listen, for I, Lady Wisdom speaking, will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and, a, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They're all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Notice all the words that are used there to describe Lady Wisdom. Right, faultless, righteous, true, truth, just, and on and on. You see, wisdom lines up with the way God made the universe as a moral universe. It's really popular in our world today, and our world throws this at us all the time. You can hear it in classes, you can hear it on TV, you can hear it wherever, that what's true for you may not be true for me. Right? We hear that? It's part of our world. You know, you may feel that it's wrong to support gay marriage, but that may be true for you, but I follow a different truth. What's true for you is not true for me. And so there's this sense in our world that truth is relative. We live in a relativistic society. But what Scripture teaches is that that is complete foolishness. It's foolishness. There is truth. There is clear right and wrong. And Scripture teaches us what that is. And our consciences deep down help us understand what's right and wrong. And the world tries to convince us it's not true, but it is true. Scripture is true. It lines up with reality. Let me try to explain it to you. I've talked about this earlier in Proverbs, but let me say it again. God created the world as a physical universe, right? And he put in physical laws that we can study and understand. And if you violate those physical laws, you get in trouble. There's destruction and pain. For example, the law of gravity. The law of gravity was created by God. This is a physical universe. And if you step out of a 10-story building, out of the 10th story, out the window, guess what? Gravity takes over and you die. <laughs> it just is. That's the way it happens. But Scripture teaches us that God also created this universe as a 
moral universe with moral laws. And those laws line up with truth, with God's character, with who He is. And if you violate those laws, you also experience destruction and death. Let me just give you an example. And we could, we could give many, but God, God created sex as a wonderful thing. But there's laws accompanying it. It's meant to be satisfied and experienced in a marital covenant relationship. And if you violate that and you choose to experience it outside of that covenant relationship, you experience death, destruction. Why? Because this is a moral universe. Wisdom is true. It is not relative. And what's true about it is true for everyone that God has created because we live in a moral universe as well as a physical universe. So we should obey wisdom because it's true. It lines up with how God made the universe. George Barna recently put out a survey where he compared the boomer generation who we have not had a great track record of morality those of us who are boomers, but compared them and their morality to the mosaics, he calls them, which are the 18 to 25-year-old age range. And the questions had to do with, in the last week, have you done this? And it says the younger group, known as mosaics, was nine times more likely than were boomers to have engaged in sex outside of marriage, six times more likely to have lied, almost three times more likely to have gotten drunk and to have gossiped, and twice as likely as boomers to have observed pornography. Now, that doesn't say a lot for boomers, but it leads to a real concern for mosaics. There's a lack of wisdom among the younger generation. They're choosing to do things that are causing destruction and harm because wisdom is true. God's character is accurate. This is a moral universe. And therefore, the younger generation needs to discover wisdom that they might experience life. You see, we dare not violate wisdom. We should choose wisdom. We should choose to do what's right at those times of choice because it's true. Third, we should choose to do what's right because only wisdom satisfies our hearts. Only wisdom can satisfy what our hearts long for. In chapter 8, I just want to read verses 14 through 18. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding, wisdom says. Power is mine. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me. And those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Think for a minute. What do you really desire in life? Just answer that question for yourself in your own heart. What do you really desire in life? If you read these verses carefully, what wisdom is saying is, Whatever your, what your heart really longs for, 
can only come through me. Do you want understanding in life? Do you want satisfaction in life? Do you want a fulfilled life? Do you want the power to be able to handle what comes your way in this crazy world in which we live? Do you want to be able to rule in life like a king? To be able to reign over whatever comes instead of being controlled and knocked around by whatever circumstance comes your way? Do you want the strength and the ability to handle and even reign over what circumstances brings your way? Do you want a heart that finds joy and fulfillment? Wisdom says, I'm the way to that. I'm the only way to that. If you choose to go against me, you don't find a satisfied heart. In fact, what you experience is pain and destruction. You see, our hearts are restless until they're fully satisfied at rest in becoming what God created us to be. People in relationship with him who are learning to walk in wisdom and goodness to become good in our hearts the way God designed us to be. Learning to choose What's right. And if we choose our own way and say, no, I am going to reign in my life. I can't trust God. He might bring pain in my life and I don't want pain. So I'm going to find a way to avoid pain. What you experience in your life is even greater pain. It's inevitable because wisdom is the only way to go that can satisfy our hearts. It's the only way. I have a friend who They'd been married not too long, just a few years, and they had a child, and this woman was struggling with postpartum, being a mother, trying to deal with the burdens of motherhood and a new marriage, and she and her husband were struggling some, and she just found herself finding, having this choice. Do I keep doing what's right, which doesn't look very good right now, Or do I choose to find happiness my way? Well, she began to make more contact with her friends, to call her friends, and they kept telling her, no, hey, you need to come be with us. If you you really want to find happiness, you're not going to find it there. Come out with us. And she began going out with her friends, going to bars, hanging out, building relationships and intimacy with other men. Until finally she said, I don't want to be married. I'm leaving that. I'm going to go and really live it up. Well, you know, that can feel good for a little while. Sin is enticing and it can look good. It can sound good. But by the grace of God, it took a couple, three years for my friend to finally reach a place of realizing my life's a mess. Why did I leave what I had? Yeah, it was hard. But once you turn your back on God and go your own way and try to find life your own way, you're walking into death. That's the message of Proverbs over and over and over again. But she was able to repent and come back and beg for her husband to take her back. And by God's grace, he did. And they were able to have a restored relationship. And I was able to be part of the restoration. And it was exciting. And that's what God can do. But she had to go through the death first to bring, to come to restoration. You see, the only way we can have a satisfied heart ultimately is to choose wisdom. And that's the message here that wisdom tells us. 
We should choose wisdom because only it can satisfy our hearts. Fourth, we should choose wisdom because it is eternal. Verse 22 through 31 is a wonderful hymn. We're not going to read the whole thing. I just want to read a couple of verses from it. But it's a beautiful hymn of how wisdom was involved in creation and continues to be involved in creation as God made the universe and sustains the universe. Verse 22 and 23, The Lord possessed me, wisdom says, at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. Verse 30, Then I was beside him as a master workman, And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. You see this picture of wisdom being with God at the very beginning of creation and continuing on and sustaining creation and rejoicing in creation, delighting in creation right up to the present. Wisdom was with God, guiding God. It was always present. It is present. And it doesn't change. Wisdom, doing what's right, in other words, never goes out of style. It doesn't change. God's character does not change. Now we hear in our world, again, this sense of, well, you know, that's old-fashioned morality. This is a new world. This is a new age. Things are different now. You don't need to follow those old ethics, those old morals. But the point that wisdom is making here, I believe, is that, no, I'm eternal. It doesn't change. The world has not changed. The moral universe has not changed. God is still God. And therefore, it doesn't change. In fact, as you analyze cultures throughout history, every culture eventually begins to decline in their morality. And they begin to change the way they look at their morality. And as they do so, they begin to fall apart. And studies have been shown that the fate of a whole culture, of a country, depends on the morality. The morality declines, the country falls apart. You see, wisdom doesn't change. And then finally, number five, the reason we should choose wisdom is because it's the only way to life. Life. It's the only way to life. As David read the end of chapter 8, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Verse 35, For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Wisdom says very clearly, Following me, seeking to choose what's right, pursuing wisdom, brings blessing, brings life, brings favor from the Lord. What is life? How would you define life? Well, in the book of Proverbs, it's clearly spiritual life. It's intimacy with God. It's a sense of satisfaction in your soul. It's a sense that I am what a God created me to be. I'm growing. I'm satisfied in who God is and what he has done in my heart. It doesn't mean that life goes well, does it? Walking with God, choosing his way, choosing wisdom does not exempt you from suffering and pain. 
We live in a fallen world and none of us can avoid that. But what wisdom says is, look, you have a choice to either go through your suffering trying to deal with it yourself or go through it with me having my wisdom, my encouragement, my strength, my power to help you get through it and to know you're loved and that I am with you in it. You see, I can't guarantee you a smooth life. Neither can wisdom. But I can guarantee you, if you'll follow him, God's presence, a deeper joy, his empowerment, his guidance, spiritual growth, knowing him, a satisfaction in your life that can only come through wisdom. Right at the end of Proverbs, many of you have studied the end of Proverbs, chapter 31, which describes the noble wife, the the godly wife who seeks the Lord. And listen to what it says about her, verse 25, at the end of the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. And that word for smiles actually is used many places of laugh. She laughs at the future. She plays when she thinks of the future. She delights in the future. Think with me for a minute. How do you view the future? We live in really uncertain times, don't we? Economically, it's a difficult time. It's put strains on many of us. Some have lost jobs. It's hard. There's an uncertain uh, what will happen when we vote in the next number of months and what changes that will bring. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. And yet this noble wife laughs at the future. What a marvelous picture of the life that God wants to give us. How can we laugh at the future? How can she laugh at the future when we tend to be so full of fear of the future and so we begin to try to figure out how to protect ourselves from what might be coming and we live by selfishness and we accumulate for ourselves and we're so concerned about getting what we can out of life now because who knows what's coming. I might die tomorrow and so I better make the most of my life now. I better try to be happy now. You see, that's living by fear. But the noble wife lives by laughing at the future. Why? Because she knows it's in God's hands. She's wise. She's grown in wisdom. She understands that God's in control and that whatever comes is in his hands and therefore I do not have to be afraid. It pictures for me children playing in a playground and they're just having a blast. And we describe it as they don't have a care in the world. It's true. They don't. Why don't they have a care in the world? Because they know their future and their lives are in their parents' hands. They're secure in the love of their parents. And that's exactly what Jesus wants for us, is that we might laugh at the future, smile at the future, because we know our lives are in God's hands and whatever he brings, he'll empower us to get through it. He'll be with us. And he's promised us life forever with him in heaven. And so what is there to be afraid of? You see, that's where wisdom can get you. We should choose wisdom because it brings us to life, to laughing at the future.
So, we should choose to do what's right and we'll find favor from the Lord. If we choose to go our own way and try to figure out life ourselves and try to make ourselves happy, what we will experience is darkness and death, ultimately. It will cause us harm. We do violence to ourselves, it says. He who sins against me, verse 36 says, injures himself. It's really you do violence against your own soul when you choose to turn your back on wisdom. So we should choose life. Choose wisdom at those times when we're tempted. Lord, I want to choose you, and we should choose him. But how do we get to a place of being wise? Because if we're honest, a lot of times we choose the wrong thing, don't we? We choose death because somehow we're convinced it will be better. So how can we learn to grow in wisdom and choose life? Well, that's what chapter 9 teaches us. We don't have time to go through it all. First six verses are Lady Wisdom calling out, describing how Lady Wisdom gives us a feast. She lays out a feast for us with wine and all these wonderful things to eat. And she says, if you'll come, if you'll listen to me, I will give you a feast of life. The last six verses describe Lady Folly. I commend you to read this chapter closely and see what Lady Folly, she kind of gives the same message, come to me. But she says, I'll give you food, but it's secret, it's hidden, it's stolen. And in the end, it's poisonous. It kills you. She sounds good and she shouts really loud. But Lady Folly always poisons you and leads to death. But right in the middle of this chapter, I want to look at the two middle verses of this whole chapter, verses 9 and 10. Because I think they show us the path to wisdom. The path to wisdom. Verse 9. Two things. Verse 9 first. Give instruction to the wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. Do you want to grow in wisdom? First, you need to be teachable. That's what it says. You want to increase in wisdom? Be teachable. Let others teach you. Let the Scriptures teach you. Submit to what the Scriptures say. And when the world's saying, hey, don't believe that old stuff, you know, we'll tell you, and, and we'll tell you what's right, and we'll tell you what's best, and we'll tell you how to find happiness, and we'll tell you how to satisfy your heart. Say, no, I will be teachable from the Scriptures, from what God says. I will submit to the Scriptures. I will ask God to teach me. I will admit that in myself, I don't have it together. I don't see the whole picture. I'm a fool, and I need God to teach me wisdom. That's the first step to becoming wise. The fool says, I don't need God. The fool says, I know what's best. Don't be a fool. Be teachable. Secondly, verse 10, the path to wisdom is to fear the Lord. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means to respect, to weigh heavily what he says. You see, it means when you come to a decision and you're struggling with doing what's right or do I follow God or, boy, this seems like a better way to say, no, you know what? What I think or what others think or what I feel 
I am not going to weigh as heavily as what God says. I will fear the Lord. I will weigh more heavily what he says than anything else. I will follow him. I will seek him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Well, sometimes, though, it's, Lord, it doesn't make sense to follow you. It's, I don't understand it, but I will commit to do what you say. I will choose life. I will choose to follow you, as we just sang. How do we get there? How do we learn to fear the Lord? Get to know Him. We have to read the Word. You've got to spend time in prayer and reading the Word and asking Lord, I want to know you better. I've got to know you better. That's the cry of my heart. I pray that often in my prayer times with him. Lord, I need to know you better because I'm just not making great choices here. I just too often choose to be selfish and I need to know you better. That is a prayer he will always answer because he longs to reveal himself to us. Over time, your thinking will be changed and you will grow in wisdom if you're teachable and you choose the fear of the Lord. Wisdom. It's a moral skill. It isn't knowledge. It's the ability to, at those times of choice, to say no to temptation and say yes to life. How do we get that? Spend time with Him. Pursue Him. Fear the Lord and be teachable. And He will teach us. But what about those times in all of us All of us are in a place where we have often chosen wrong, haven't we? We've known what's right, and we decide, no, I am going to go my way. What do we do then? Well, that's the wonder and glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus understands our weakness. He knows that we're but clay pots. He knows that we struggle and we are unwise. We are foolish in ourselves. And so he's provided a way through his death on the cross that we might come to him and be utterly forgiven, wash clean, start new with a fresh, clean slate and know his, and receive his love and his grace and his forgiveness. So as we wrap up this study in Proverbs, we want to take communion together now to celebrate the gift of forgiveness and the gift of his life that changes us and makes us new. So let me pray, and the men will come forward, and we will take communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the study we've had in Proverbs. Thank you that wisdom is available to each of us, that you long for us to experience life, life in you, the gift of life. You long for us to experience the fullness of, of being in line with you, becoming good in our hearts and our souls. So, Lord, we thank you for this study, and we thank you most of all right now for your forgiveness, because without that, we would be utterly, completely lost. So we thank you for the cross, and we celebrate it now together as your community, as your people. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. We'll pass the bread first. And as we do, let this be a time of meditation and confession before the Lord. Let him speak to your heart and confess those things that he's laid on your heart today, ways in which you've chosen to go your own way instead of choosing wisdom.
Let's give thanks for the bread. Lord, thank you for this bread that we take together as your people, your community, with grateful hearts because it represents your death for us. You took the punishment we deserved and therefore we can receive gratefully your forgiveness and we do. We thank you that all our sins, past, present, future, are covered by the blood of Jesus and so we gratefully receive your forgiveness now in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's body given for you. And while the cup's being passed, receive his forgiveness gratefully. Thank him for it and rejoice in his love of you that because of the cross, nothing you do can separate you from his love. Nothing. So celebrate that now. Let's give thanks for the cup. Thank you, Lord, for this cup that represents your blood poured out for us. Thank you that your blood washes us clean, that we can experience the fullness of forgiveness. And thank you that this blood represents your life poured into us, that we might depend on your life, that we might experience the power of the Holy Spirit in us because you died for us. And Lord, as we go forth from here, may we walk in that newness of life, choosing wisdom, because your life is in us. So we celebrate this cup in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Christ's blood shed for you.